Hi, Nicholas. Welcome to Life Up Education TV. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, amazing. So to um, kick off this interview, I wanted to know who you are, uh, what your background is. Can you tell me uh, what you do right now and your background? Sure. So I was born and raised in Germany. Uh, originally, I used to play on the German golf national team. So I used to be a golf player. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Though. And then uh, I didn't pursue a professional career, went to college instead, studied computer science and finance, moved For to the how, U.S. And to... Yeah. Okay. How did you go from playing golf to, you know, switching your interests completely to... <laughs> yeah. Golf is an interesting sport. I'm glad you're asking. Um, so golf, there's a few things that I love about it. It's like really tough, very difficult sport, very, very demanding from a technique perspective mm. and once you get to a high level it's all in your head like you're just playing against yourself all the time mm -hmm. um, that's fun if you play well it's not very fun if you don't play very well mm. um, <laughs> and so I'm really tall I'm 6'4 which mm -hmm. helps a lot uh, because I hit the ball very far mm -hmm. but I'm also very far away from the ground so my short game isn't that strong and I don't think I would have ever been good enough to play like top 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 golf Mm. And so I'd, I'd rather play, not play mm. professionally than be like somewhere in the bottom half or wherever. Mm. Um, and so I, I studied computer science and finance because I really enjoyed that. Mm. Is, it, is there like a similarity in terms of, I don't know, like how, like you mentioned something about, you know, golf being more like a lonely sports, right? Like you play by yourself. It, it, it can be there, lonely, yeah. Is there any sort of like psychological Similarity um, to you know study engineering and then um, to study. Yeah, no, it's actually a good question. I think studying is one thing. I'm not sure whether you can compare it, but what definitely is true is uh, playing golf and entrepreneurship have a lot of things in common. Really? Yeah, because that's if you're if you're CEO of your own company, that's very lonely. You have all these right. problems you need to solve. They're all hard most of them you've never had before and there's all these unique situations mm -hmm. um and so i found a lot of parallels there it also helps a lot golf golf is a sport where if you if you're nervous or if you're excited it impacts the way you play and so you you really need to calm yourself down a lot and i think the same is true for entrepreneurship if you start a company mm -hmm. you need to be really relaxed and then you always be calm otherwise the team notices and then if you're nervous the, the team becomes nervous and then you have a huge mess <laughs> <laughs> i see well that's very interesting so can you tell me what happened next so you study yeah. and then, mm -hmm. so i say computer science and finance i always wanted to start engineering mm -hmm. um, but but not but and when i graduate when i finished playing golf i realized that real engineering like the future of engineering at least in my interest was software rather than hardware Mm. And so I studied computer science and then I moved fast forward. I moved to the US in 2011 to pursue an MBA in Stanford. And so yeah. I was at Stanford from 2011, 2013. Mm. The Which main reason, the main reason I moved to the US to do an MBA is because I wanted to go in, in tech. Mm. Um, and uh, like I thought the best way to enter Silicon Valley is through through joining Stanford or a program that like has a lot of exposure to technology in these companies. And so when I'm, I was hoping that was the case when I moved to the US. And then what I found is like everything is around Silicon Valley and technology and um, 
and so my professors and lecturers had started companies before and they were the first ones to invest in our company also and so it was a really good idea and it worked out very well for me luckily mm. so you were kind of also able to network um, yeah so the, like, network is a funny word because it assumes you're really opportunistic and you do it because like you go to Stanford only so you meet people that you can use in your career mm -hmm. it actually doesn't feel like that it all these classmates become very, very good friends of yours. Mm. So you spend two years of your life with them. It's a really funny two years of your life because you're not working. You don't have, you're like you're used to, you just got used to having responsibility and then the responsibility is gone. Mm. And then you just study for two years and travel. Mm. Um, and so it, it's really fun, very fun two years. I think you learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself and you, you get to meet like really interesting people. Mm. Um, and so when I said you meet really interesting people, I got lucky and, and ended up meeting my future co-founder of my company. Oh. Um, Chris is a, he's American from the East Coast. He was MIT undergrad. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he's, he's obsessed with cars. He loves cars. His, his first car was a DeLorean. That's the car from Back to the Future. You know that movie? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So he, he's all about cars. And um, when we got together, business school became friends, traveled, and he told me there's so much he could do in the car space. Uh, and then we ended up basically starting a car company. All our classmates asked him for advice how to sell a car. Mm -hmm. And then we helped our classmates sell their cars, which was really fun. <laughs> That's super amazing. So did you guys already have that ambition to start a company while you guys were still students and just being friends? Yeah, interestingly, I did. Like I came to the US very, very purposefully with the intent to start a company. Mm. Chris, my co-founder, he was different. He wanted to work for a big car company. His dream, his dream job was working for Ferrari or McLaren, one of the Formula One companies. Mm. And, uh, mm. and so instead of doing that, he actually looked at one of these companies between first and second year mm -hmm. um, and then realized it's a very cool product. Like the car is amazing. Mm -hmm. but uh but uh like working for these car companies wasn't as fun and then i i kind of <laughs> convinced him to start a company with me and it ended up very very i hope i hope he would admit it ended up being a good idea <laughs> <laughs> i see that so i know that you've started multiple companies right and then yeah. you also probably uh advise i think right I, I, yeah yeah so um that being the very first company um how did you know you were choosing the right co-founder oh good question yeah. yeah like i think we we stumbled into it and we got lucky mm -hmm. i think this is like a relationship you actually never know how it will turn out you just need to make the move if right. it feels right <laughs> um and so what we didn't know at the time but found out later is that we're very com complementary he um he's a thinker he's incredibly smart and really mm -hmm. strategic and very creative Mm -hmm. And so he really enjoys that part. And then he has a thousand ideas and then he usually stumbles and I'm the opposite. I, uh, I, I have a hard time coming up with really creative things to do and ways to solve problems. But once you give me direction and I agree with the direction, I run very fast with a lot of urgency and get a lot of stuff done. And so, um, yeah, he had all these ideas and I'm like, I think these are all not good ideas, but let's try that one, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we like we explored that and uh, and and just happened to be a really good fit the two of us. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um. So that actually leads me to my next question, which is, uh, you seem to be very passionate about technology, and this has been consistent passion of yours, right? 
why technology though? Like our show, one of the things I talk about is the possibility with humanity. So yep. in terms of technology, like how do you see technology playing the role in that? Yeah. I think there's I think the big difference between what I wanted to do and what I'm passionate about when I was a kid and today is like a, back then Germany is famous for German engineering mm -hmm. and that's mainly hardware like robotics and stuff like really really interesting stuff mm -hmm. um, Germany is a little less famous for software mm -hmm. uh, like technology that that scales better where you don't have to have metal and robots and so I got like, yeah. yeah I got really excited about the software part because I feel like with software you can solve a lot of problems be it and like you think of the space and their software that disrupted the space in some way or the other. Um, I, I'm not like a rocket scientist. Like I, I don't, I don't get very, very deep in technology and the, develop technologies that develop better technologies, but I like using technology to solve problems. And so when, when we started our first company, it ended up being, think of Amazon for used cars. So we were selling used cars online mm -hmm. and it was more of a technology enabled company than a technology company. And so the new company we're starting right now is a fintech company. So it's a financial company, financing ser financial services company that's powered through technology. Mm -hmm. And it's again, it's, we're not, it's not rocket science. Like we're not reinventing something completely new, but we're using technologies that are available mm -hmm. to solve problems today that weren't available a couple of years ago, if that makes sense. Right, right. I, so I heard this before where someone describes what innovation is is to take the existing idea and then mix them together with something else and then come up yeah. with newer. So I would think you, so. you guys are very innovative. So I'm sorry, trying I, to think, be. <laughs> I think I actually interrupted you there um, from our from my first question, actually. I think I didn't let you finish your full story of... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got lost <laughs> halfway. Yeah, so I what did we sorry, do? We started this... <laughs> No worries. I'm glad you asked. So we started this company yeah. called Carlipso, sold our classmates cars, raised $1.2 million from professors, um, experimented a little bit, went through Y Combinator. Y Combinator is the most well-known startup accelerator in Silicon Valley. Oh, not, yeah. yeah, that was a really good experience. Graduated, mm -hmm. raised a little bit more money, changed the model. Our model wasn't scaling as fast as we wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. It was very labor intensive. And so we moved away from helping private people to sell their cars to the private people. But we really introduced this Amazon model where we sell cars completely online. Mm -hmm. And so that started growing really fast. So fast that we raised, I think at the time, then $10 million um, and then started building a company. And then we, we ran that company for another two years. That was four years in total at the time. And then towards the end of the four years, we asked ourselves, should we raise another round of funding to grow even bigger? Mm -hmm. Or is there anything else that we discovered on the way that may be more valuable than selling cars? And so when we started comparing notes with friends and quote unquote competitors, we realized that we had built really interesting software mm -hmm. to power our car sales. And so our competitor at the time, they had been, they were bigger than us. Mm -hmm. And they had tried to build technology that, um, that was very similar to what we had built, but hadn't started yet. And so then we said, hey, this is, why do we compete against the other? Let's just combine the two companies. Like we sell our company to them, mm -hmm. bring on the whole team and then work on it together, which is what we ended up doing. And so we sold our company to Carvana. Um, and so that was, when was that? That was in 2017. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And then we, as part of the deal, we stayed on, which was exciting because we wanted to see it through. Like we weren't done yet. We thought there's still a lot of work to do. So we we joined, the whole team joined. Chris was responsible for my co-founder for like product and the website. Mm -hmm. I became more of a general manager for a new business unit. And so we stayed on for three years, which was a really, really fun journey. Mm. And then, yeah, and then just to finish up the whole story, we left in June of this year. So a couple of months ago, we started a new business. Mm. Um, it's, as I said earlier, it's a financial services company powered by technology. Mm. And the whole premise is around refinancing auto loans in the US, different than in any other, any other company, uh, country people who've proven to not make payments regularly so have challenged credit mm. they can get cars in the US mm. and when they start making their payments they improve their credit worthiness so they, they should get lower rates but the late rates are stuck somehow somehow at the point in time when they bought the car and so there's a huge opportunity right so how did you come up with this idea yeah, good question. So there, when we were selling cars ourselves with our own company, mm -hmm. we noticed that that customers asked us, we were, think of us as a car dealer at the time, mm -hmm. they asked us for loans and insurance products. Yeah. But we didn't think that made any sense because we're a car dealership. We're not like insurance brokers or, or, or banks. Mm -hmm. And so we had to partner with other institutions. And then we found that different partners were, worked slightly differently. Some paid us a really high referral fee. Mm -hmm. And others were very customer centric, wanted to give really good rates and conditions to customers. Mm -hmm. And so we realized this is not aligned because the customer wants the best rate, interest rate, mm -hmm. but most dealers want to make a lot of money. And so we realized at the time that if you, if you, if your car dealership, you optimize for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you want to help the consumer, you need to address him after he bought a car, ideally like 12 to 18 months later when he made some payments and then you can give him much better loan and save him thousands of dollars. So we, the insight came from when we ran our last company like more than three years ago. Mm, I see. Very interesting. So actually this kind of connects to the question I was going to ask at the very end, but um, you know, in terms of like pursuing business opportunity, like where is your passion? Like, like, is it the fact that you'd like the game of entrepreneurship? Yeah. Like, do you, like, do you see yourself liking them, the game as an entrepreneurship, or do you see yourself liking the idea of like you know, helping the car industry? Like, where does it come from? Yeah, I think motivations and passions change. Like, you always want to, you want to do the right thing mm -hmm. for the right reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that changes a little bit. When I graduated from business school, and that's true for myself, for all my peers, for everyone. Like, we're really ambitious. We want to build big things, be very successful. Um, and so back then, the horizon over which we wanted to be successful felt a little too short compared to um, how long it usually takes to build companies. So back then, I really liked the problem we were working on, but I also really wanted to build a big company. <laughs> and so we sold it and then spent time with Carvana, and that worked out very well for us financially. And so now I'm presented with the same question, like, what am I excited about? This time, I not only like the problem, I also like the reason why we're doing it. But the goal is to give money back to people who don't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like people who are already disadvantaged by the system. We want to give them money back so they can build credit and then have like, uh, like have a chance at have living a, very, a life with lots of prosperity. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, this time the motivation is not only the problem, but even like individual people who we can help. 
that's uh that's really important because like startups are hard and then at right. some point you you risk that you had like multiple weeks of bad experiences and frustration mm -hmm. you risk asking yourself why am i doing this right and and if you don't have an like an alter mission or grander mission and vision and motive then it becomes a little hard to motivate yourself sometimes right. mm -hmm. but do you think that it came out of your necessity or do you think that was the intention that was already there good question yeah so i I always liked competing, like I really enjoyed it. I wanted to push myself and be really, really good. And mm -hmm. I also didn't like competing with people who in golf, for example, who, who are worse than me. I always enjoyed playing against people who are much better than me. I thought that brought the best out of me. I think entrepreneurship is a little bit like that too. Mm -hmm. You always compare yourself with these big companies, incumbents that are much bigger, much better funded and have like really strong footholds. Right. And it's fun to be like the little guy to weasel yourself through, through <laughs> the cracks and, and try to build something. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think, where the ambition motivation comes from. This mm -hmm. time around, it's the same. And I feel like I'm even better prepared. So back then, like the competitors were a little bit too big and it was a really, really, really hard fight. Right. I think this time we have a very unfair advantage because we've been, we've, we've been in the space for seven years, understand it really well, I've learned a lot. And so now, other than winning, we can even win like as a big community and like in include more people than just us founders, if that makes sense. Is it easier to, was it easier experience for you to start the second company compared to the very first one? Yeah, well, it's different, right? It's different for many reasons, including A, you've already made a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. So you, you won't make those mistakes again. You'll make different mistakes, but at least you already know some that you try to avoid. Yeah. Number one. Number two, mm -hmm. um, we got lucky because A, the first one worked out well. Right. So mm -hmm. we can we just approached the same investors and had a lot of interest. But even luckier is that Chris and I get along very well. So my mm -hmm. co-founder and I get along really well. And um, like many times co-founders fight. It's just like in a relationship, these don't last forever. Right. We got lucky that we don't have a lot of ego issues. Like we, mm -hmm. we agree to disagree a lot mm -hmm. and then we, we trust data. Mm -hmm. And if you do that and if you get along well, then, then a big risk of a startup that the founders could fight or not get along is actually taken off the table. Mm -hmm. And so from an investor perspective, you have people who have done it before. You have people who are, have had a good financial outcome. So now they're fearless. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's a, a group of people who already work together have a lot of experience in a space that they know really well that that makes it significantly easier in terms of getting started and raising money so that's mm -hmm. for sure building the business is still very hard right no for sure so when you're raising your fund right like you said that you knew some people already yeah what are they trusting on you like is it you uh, why people that i ask myself the same question all the time <laughs> <laughs> like why would you trust me Investing on um, as an investor? It depends on the stage. So, right now, <coughs> we uh, went out, talked to investors, fundraising, and they invested in two people and a story and our experience. They invested in, in, there's Chris and I, we could choose to do a lot of things for the next 10 years of our lives because mm -hmm. we got lucky. Uh, but we're choosing this. So, that, that, that already arguably suggests that we really believe in it. Like, it's not like we were trying to desperately start a company. No, we really believe in it. And then we, we happen, 
we happen to this is this is good or bad to have become experts in the car space like we just know the space really well it's it's frustrating because it's a frustrating space but uh, it, it also means we learned a lot and so that gives us an advantage mm -hmm. okay so you mentioned something very interesting earlier uh you said that you're very you were very competitive right which is very important trait i think um for you to have if you're a business leader i think that there's a fine like well there's a i guess a mix to concept with being competitive and being insecure right like, mm -hmm. That it kind of, kind of goes. That you think I'm insecure. No, 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 not at all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then, and then you, like as you mentioned, there are gonna be times where it's very hard to persevere, yeah. and those are the times where you definitely need high sense of self-esteem and high willingness to love yourself, even if you fail. Yeah. So, given all these like three concepts, um, you know, being little bit insecure that you want to yeah. prove someone else that you are yeah. like, capable, you're competitive. At the same time, you have this high sense of self-esteem. Like, can yeah. you kind of like explain how this thing play in your particular sure. case? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. So um, when you say competitive, I think there's, it manifests itself in two different ways. Mm -hmm. Like in my case, I don't like competing unless I feel like I have a really, really good chance at winning. Like in, in golf, for example, I loved competing because I, like on the level I played, I was very good. Mm -hmm. But then at the very end, I just realized I was just honest to myself. Like, it's like we're all playing with the same golf clubs, same tools. But some of them are just so much better than me that I, that, that wasn't the, the, like, that's not the battle I wanted to choose. Instead, I studied computer science and, and finance, went to college, and so I felt like a, a battle I would win is more intellectual than, than an athletic battle, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And so when we started our first company, like everything we've always looked for was, where do we have an edge? Like, where do we have an unfair advantage? Because we know something, or we have access to something, or we've built something, um, or we like, have yeah, specific resources. And so when you compete, when I compete, I don't want to compete in something that's a commodity. Like I, I'm looking to compete on a level where I have a unique advantage. Mm -hmm. So in the new business, for example, we just happen to know the space so well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's slightly different than just competing for the, for the sake of competing. So that's around like a few thoughts around competing. Mm -hmm. And then competition I think I'm just motivated. I just like I just like having fun and being good at something. Like I don't mind losing at all. Like in, in golf, I was I'm I was very upset when I lost because I messed up. I was not very upset that the few times I lost and the other person was just better than me. And so in in startups, but you just need to know that some days are just really bad. Like it, you wake up and it starts bad, and then it gets even worse. Um, the most important thing is to like get a lot of sleep to work out and to manage your own psychology you, mm -hmm. you need to understand whether it's just you that feels down or whether the like all the all the signs point to like this is not working mm -hmm. and so that's no problem you just need to be intellectually honest you need to try mm -hmm. hard enough mm -hmm. to not have a wrong signal but if at some point you realize this is not working you just pivot to something else right so i guess i have to different questions following up okay. to that. Like the first one is when do you know if something is not working yeah. anymore versus like you need to 
persevere. And the second thing is, how can you gain the courage to not blame yourself when you make mistakes? Like in a time okay. like Yeah. So your first question was, how do you know when it doesn't work? It's actually, the question is actually the other way around. That's even harder. When do you know that it works? Mm-hmm. And so like the, there's this concept called product market fit, what startups are looking for. You want, you want to get a, to a place where, okay, everybody wants what I have. Now I can grow this really big. And so there's no, like, it's not black and white, whether you're not, whether you have product market fit or whether you don't. In our previous company, like the model that we pursued in the end was going really well. Mm-hmm. Like from zero to 150 cars a month, 150 cars a month means $35 million, uh, $3 million in revenue. So that's quite a lot per month. Like that worked really well. And we had every reason to believe the company could be very, very big. Right. And then the next sale and the next sale and the next sale became harder and harder. And we were really confused because it went like that and then became flat. Mm-hmm. And so what we, with hindsight, it took us a long time to understand what happened. Like we had these early adopters, like we found people who understood what we were doing and wonder what we have. And these were a little less than 150 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we went beyond that, we entered a segment of the market that was just not as willing to mm-hmm. take the risk or what felt like a risk or to try this out. And so that's why the question is, did we have something that worked? Like, did we have product market fit? And you can argue we did. You can also argue we didn't. I think we had it for a specific segment. And so that's why we had a really good feeling and we got very, very positive feedback. Mm-hmm. But then we noticed like it was getting harder and not easier to mm-hmm. scale the business. And then we realized, okay, I don't think we have it for that segment. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's no data that, that suggested in, other than in our case, like the cost of acquisition costs went up and not down every time we tried to make another sale. So that wasn't a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, we didn't need the data to tell us. Like we felt it wasn't quite working. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like everybody wanted what we had. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's how we felt it. And then the second question is, how do you have the courage to go on? Well, you not blame yourself when uh, you know okay. that you kind of, yeah, mess it up. Well, you, Phil Knight, the guy who started Nike, he, he went to Stanford Business School too. And he has this one saying that I love. He says, um, it doesn't matter how often you fail for as, long as you, uh, for as long as you don't fail the last time you try. Mm-hmm. So he says the failure is just part of the journey and you get used to it. Like it's in the beginning, you may be discouraged if something that you believed in didn't work, but like that's just startups. Mm-hmm. Every day today, I tried three things that didn't work and I thought it was fun. And you're like, oh, I thought this could work. <laughs> And then you just get used to like getting punched right. in the face. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think you're more tolerant to that because you've been through a lot now? <laughs> I've been through a lot. Like luckily I haven't, like physically I have not been through a lot, mentally maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it depends, it depends on what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like I, Chris, my co-founder loves, loves the super early stage of the company. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get much better at handling it because mm-hmm. It's the part where you need to be really creative. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for him, I think I couldn't do it because I need somebody to be really creative. Mm-hmm. Also, I think vice versa. If you ask him, it's like, yeah, I have all these ideas, but I don't know how to get going. Like, I don't get anything done quickly. So that's why we're like, we work well together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like for as long as you're not trapped into doing something that doesn't work and you don't know a way out, this is all mm-hmm. fun. Like you just need to be honest to yourself. You need to try as hard as possible. You need to be maintain your integrity. Mm-hmm. And then if you 
quote unquote, survive long enough as a company, if you don't run out of money, you'll find something that works. You just need to be really frugal. Mm -hmm. I see. That's very insightful. So I'm going to actually come back to one of your early um, experience at the White Container. Can you tell me about the experience you had there at the White Container? Yeah. So for a little context, Y Combinator or YC is the startup incubator or accelerator program. I think they have two classes a year. They accept 100 startups. And so the goal there is, it's also jokingly, it's been called the the summer, course six summer camp. Course six is the software engineering or computer science class in MIT. Mm -hmm. And so what the initial engineers, initial founders that joined the program were all like these incredibly hyper smart people (laughs) from MIT who started building products, Mm -hmm. but who had like one little weakness or lack of experience. They never left the building. They always tried, they can thought they can reinvent the wheel from behind the computer screen. Mm -hmm. And why come it's like, no, 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 you have to go out of the building and talk to your customers because they'll tell you whether or not they, or you can watch them use your product and then you learn. And so that's, that's uncomfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the program, like they keep you accountable every week. You have office hours and you check in and there's other teams that keep you responsible and uh, accountable. And so I really enjoyed that part, meeting other entrepreneurs who were like in the fight, in a different fight, but we're fighting the same direction at least. <laughs> um, and then towards the end of the experience, you have what's called Demo Day. That's been all the startup pitch and mm-hmm. create this 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 environment where, where a lot of investors want to invest and it's really hard to tell which company works and which one doesn't. So everybody gets money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good experience. We were lucky that we had had raised a lot of money already before entering YC and mm-hmm. we, we came from a really strong network from Stanford. Mm-hmm. But people who don't have that network and want to raise money for their company, I think going through that program is really, 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 really valuable. Mm-hmm. How do they get in if they're not in the same position as you are? If they're not in the same what? Position as you are. Position? Because you, oh. you already had like good proof of success like before. Oh yeah, no, actually, I think in some way I felt like we were actually already beyond like the very early startup stage with our business. Mm-hmm. We had a reset because we changed the model and so that made us a good fit. Mm-hmm. But you, you don't need to have revenue. You don't need you don't need to have like an operating product. What you need to have in order to get into YC is a strong conviction and you must have talked to customers and the customers must have, must have either disagreed with you and told you what else to build or you had you learned a lot from talking to customers so much so that you have the courage to build a business. And so there's a lot of companies at YC that are very early stage and that's good. What all of them have in common is like they have the courage to talk to customers, they have convictions and don't mind to be proven wrong, mm-hmm. and they're just willing to learn really quickly. And that's like you apply, and then I think there's a video, and then well, during COVID times, I don't know how they do it, I think they do it remotely. But we met at NYC at, at the building every other week, I think, or every week, and um, that took that lasted for three months. I see. Like, what was the one thing if you could? Like, pick and choose. Like, what was the one thing you would say um, you took away the most from that experience? From Y Combinator? Mm. Well, the, the part that I enjoyed most is there's these dinners, uh, always organized dinners, <laughs> I think, every other week. And then all these tech celebrities come and tell their story. And so that's super inspiring. Yeah. Especially if you have a day where nothing works and then you sit down and then Mark Zuckerberg tells you how you built Facebook. You're like, oh, <laughs> let's try again tomorrow. <laughs> Um, 
but the one thing like the one thing that really lasts are the, the friendships we made because mm-hmm. like being a founder is is lonely and a lot of my friends are founders my closest friends aren't um and so I, sometimes i couldn't quite empathize with why i worked so much and why i cared so much and then finding like a big community of people who think very much like that i mm-hmm. thought was really valuable and helped the company right so do you believe like mentorship is something that works for entrepreneurs I think it's super important. There's there's three types of decisions you need to make in a startup. Okay. There's a decision where you can collect data. You're like, I don't know whether I should build X or like A or B, mm-hmm. but I can I can build a prototype and test, and then data will tell me. Mm-hmm. So there's one decision you make um, where data tells you what to do. There's another decision where only you as a founder can know what's the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's mostly very much aligned with where you want the journey to go, mm-hmm. and your north star and your values. Mm-hmm. That's basically the company and culture you're building. And the third decisions are things that there's no data mm-hmm. and you don't know how to make the decision, but other founders have had the same problem hundred times before. Mm-hmm. And so for things that's new to me, but have happened to every other founder, mentors are really great. Cause they'll tell you, I know exactly that you don't know which direction to go, but I'll tell you go that way. I've mm-hmm. seen this 10 times. And so that's where I find mentors really helpful. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go into, uh, I have two more questions. The Tell next me. one is, um, so you said that you graduated from Stanford MBA, right? Like, can you also tell me the experience there? Uh, yeah. And also, how, was it actually helpful for your career? Oh, yeah, very good question. So <laughs> the Stanford MBA, I can only speak to the Stanford MBA. I think every program is slightly different. Um, I went in with a lot of expectations and I left with like, like I was in awe, all the things that I experienced and many, many more things. Mm-hmm. So you can't even imagine going in how, how life-changing of an experience that will be. Not because of the academics. So the, the classes are good. Some classes are really, really great. Mm-hmm. For me, the classes around entrepreneurship, I thought were great. But particularly for two reasons, I thought it was an incredible experience. A, all the friends I made, like really good friends, my best friends. And then the relationships I built to professors and lecturers, these are all people who were in our shoes 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I know spending their time with students trying to like give back. Mm-hmm. And so the help I've received from really incredible people is just incredible. And so now we're a case study. And so every, every year, once or twice, Chris, my co-founder, I go back to class and give a little bit back. Like we're nothing compared to the people who helped us, but mm-hmm. like having the chance to give back and contribute a little bit feels really good. And so I really enjoy that. So that sense of community, once again. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. these are all friends. I see. But did it, so I guess. Oh yeah, the second question, did it like, help me? Did mm-hmm. it help me on my startup? Okay. Uh, in in a lot of ways, yes. So you mm-hmm. startups can't be taught. Like you can't. Like accounting can be taught. Finance can be taught. Startups can't be taught because it's like every everyone. No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. What can be because every business is different. What can be taught is the process. Like mm-hmm. how do you go about building a business and finding finding product market fit? That's what all you care about in a company. Everything else beyond that is is hard. But I think the hardest part of a business is finding product market fit. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a process that will help you and increase the chances to get there, but there's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And so what I felt the, the class has taught me very successfully is like, you need to have a strong, strong conviction around, I want this world to be different and you need to have a North star. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And then day to day, you need to be really scrappy, very frugal, try out a lot of things, always talk to customers because mm -hmm. uh, they'll tell you what to build. And so I feel like that process took me a long time to A, understand and then become good at. But I feel like now looking back, like I would have never learned it and never, never understood it if it wasn't for the classes I had at Stanford. Mm. Number one and number two is like all our funding from our first company came from professors and lecturers associated to Stanford. So we would have never been able to start the company if it wasn't for them. Right. I see. I see. So I'm going to move on to my very last question that okay. always makes me sad because you have been like incredible guests. Okay. So what I want to ask is, I think we kind of discovered this throughout our conversation, but what would you say, how do you describe what it takes for someone to be, become a good, successful entrepreneur and, um, you know, advisor, investor in yeah. tech area. I have a number of thoughts. Number one, in order, like nobody will tell you whether or not you'll be successful. Um, even you might not, not even you might think you'll be successful and you won't, or you may doubt yourself and you won't. The most important thing in a, as a founder and to start a company is to just get started. Like you have to do something. If you, if you just think about an idea and find all the reasons why it could or it could not work, you will, you will always talk yourself out of trying because there's all these answers that you don't have. And then you're like, oh, there's a gazillion things I need to figure out. This can't work. And so it's very easy to talk yourself out of starting something. And I think that's actually the biggest danger. So the most important thing is to just get started. Mm -hmm. And then you have to do it for the right reasons. Like if, mm -hmm. if money is your main motivation, you'll just not last enough. You won't be tenacious enough to go through really hard times. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the real reason why you're in it needs to be something like a North Star, something really ambitious that you can achieve that's good for people and not just good for your wallet. Right. And so if, if you have that, then I think everybody is well suited to start a business and everybody should try. Mm. But what's the balance though? Because as a business, you still need to think about money today, money tomorrow, and then you well, still- I, like As a business up. you do, but personally you don't. Like I, founders can, like luckily that's changed a lot, but founders pay themselves enough to live a decent life. Although San Francisco is really expensive. Like investors want you to pay yourself well, so good enough so you can have a good life and you're not worried like we paid ourselves very little and that wasn't a great idea you need to be able to wake up on a sunday and get a massage if you want one or i don't know if you want to do go go somewhere and take an uber for a long ride you should you should not think twice otherwise you'll just you'll just live miserably quote unquote and then the week starts and that's what what's really miserable the startup life so you, you actually need the balance and right right mm. and so you should always you should always pay yourself good enough to have an okay life and you have room and space to decompress mm. yeah, and then sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you have to otherwise and investors will be very supportive mm. and then when you run the company you need to do it very very frugal you can't spend a lot of money you need to you need to learn it's all about learning quickly as much as you can as quickly as you can mm -hmm. and so you don't need to spend a lot of money to do it mm -hmm. but it, it needs to be part of your dna and you need to it needs to become a habit to spend as little as possible to learn something because you have to learn like thousand and one times mm -hmm. uh, and if you if you budget too much for each of the learnings it just won't last so you need right. to be really scrappy and hacky but i think everybody can do it like especially as if you, if you 
been in, in a startup for a long time and you've been struggling to make something work, you learn to be very scrappy. Mm-hmm. And if you just survive long enough, if the company survives long enough, I think you'll find something that works. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very insightful. So before I let you go, um, okay. I want to ask you where people can find you. Okay, cool. So yeah, I think the best way is just like you did, find me on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. look for Nicholas Hendricks, maybe you can just put my, my LinkedIn profile in, in your show notes. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. yeah, people don't don't hesitate to reach out. It'd be fun to connect with people all over the world. And if you have questions, or if you have answers, <laughs> or if you have <laughs> feedback, like I'd love to hear. And then we didn't talk about it too much detail, but the new company is called Clutch. Yeah, uh, well, let's talk about that a little bit before we go. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so the company is called Clutch. Yep. Uh, the domain or the, the way you find it is withclutch.com. It's a digital platform to refinance your auto loan, which means you can save thousands of dollars. It, mm-hmm. It's primarily for the U.S. market. It's a technology company. It's a fintech business. We just started. We left our previous company not even... But we left it in June. Before the end of June, we had secured investment. So that happened so quickly, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. And we're about to close the round and then get started. And so the, the goal here is to save Americans a lot of money on their car expenses. Amazing, amazing. So yeah, I'm going to make sure to list all that on my show notes. Okay, and I'll help you. you. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much for coming to my show today. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for reaching out.